0: This is The Subtle Effect, where we have conversations at the intersection of creativity and activism. This episode on The Subtle Effect. Bipedal hominids discover symbols and create something from nothing. Stuart Davis and I talk about your place in the primordial lineage of creativity. I'm your host, Catherine Eade. Thanks so much for joining us. sure i'm not supposed to say this out loud i should not share how this prayer for the unspeakable thing happens inside the prayer for songs or for poems it happens in a quiet place there are rituals like laying out the same cloth on the inner table sitting down into the throne that is inside of that place. It is inside, a place that everyone has, but not everyone is told to go look for it. I am pointing at it for you, but I cannot show you. You must be the one who recites the holy prayers. You must be the one who practices not knowing and asking when you are full of doubt. You are the only one who can pray for you. The throne is the same throne that every creative has ever sat in. It is the throne that is exactly the same and built only for you. A soft mist for the changing of the guard. Everything can only ever be in relationship to the first thing. There are fragile shells and beads and twigs and glass holders with tiny candles. There is good music. There is no fear. When I sit and I ask for the unspeakable thing, first i ask for whatever is unnecessary to leave hear this asking from the cells of my blood i do not want words or songs or poems i want to feel you i want you to come and be with me in this secret room i want you to come in the night when i am most scared Make me terrified of your most beautiful gift and make me beg for mercy from the most overwhelming terror of your presence. Make me not alone. Give me symbols to copy down. When did life come in all the way over my head so I knew myself in relationship with the first thing? I am not supposed to say this out loud. I am not supposed to bring anyone here to this place where I am inside with this throne and this altar. You have this place too. We should not speak of it. We should leave each other and go there now. Go to the place that no one told you was there. Lay out your favorite empty book on the cloth on the altar where your doubts belong, and sit in the throne, and take off your shoes, and let yourself be unafraid to be so scared in the place where only you are. The end depends on the beginning, especially We are here to have conversations at the intersection of creativity and activism. We live in a world that needs activists in a way that no other time could have had or needed to have. But what is effective activism? What does it mean to sit by the riverbank of creativity and pull up what is authentically ours? What is it that you are here to do How can we offer gifts in a way that is effective, authentic, and receivable? Maybe you have a project that you've always wanted to birth. Maybe you are an entrepreneur or an artist who is deep into your project or your career. Wherever you are, in relationship to the beginning, the middle, or the end, you are in relationship to the river of creativity, the mystery, This mysterious no place, the inner silent altar, the place that no one can go with you, whether you've never been there before or the path is worn and you have planted gardens there and tasted the fruit that grows when you tend to that garden, you are in relationship to it because we all have that place. The Subtle Effect is a place where we will have conversations about dipping into this place. What gets you there? What takes you away from that place? How can we be in the best relationship with this part of ourselves? If you have found this podcast because you're a listener of Source Vibrations, thank you so much. Source Vibrations has been developing... Vibroacoustic tools for more than 10 years. And the main purpose of this project is to help people like us tap into the subtle realm. The realm where this cup dips into the river and pulls up the stuff of creativity. And I am your host. I am Catherine Eed. And you just heard me read my poem to start us off. I am a writer, I'm a singer. You might have heard some of my vocals on Source Vibrations tracks like Saturn's Gate, OBE, Colors of Sound. And I am so honored to be here. I'm so glad that you've joined us for our very first episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I want to take a little bit of time and introduce you to what this is all about for me, what I believe creativity is, where it comes from, And then I want to introduce our fantastic guest, who I'm so honored is here with us today. You're going to love him, and I can't wait. And then um, I'm going to give you some info at the end about how you can support us, uh, find us next time, where we'll be, all that stuff. So for me, this creative state is not unlike states of consciousness that are talked about in the spiritual traditions the world over. There's a lot of terms to describe different states of being. Um, A couple of the words that work really well for me to describe these states are gross, subtle, and causal. So that's where the name of our podcast comes from, The Subtle Effect. So yeah, I want to read this little thing that I actually found last night from the Upanishads, um, which is... You know, this is an ancient text that's going to describe these states of being, like I was saying. We, um, we've heard about these states for a long time throughout humanity. Humans have been dipping in and writing about and discussing and trying to cultivate ways to get into these states of consciousness uh, for a long time. So I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to read a translation by Eknath Iswaran. This is just a couple of uh, paragraphs here. The human being has two states of consciousness, one in this world, and the other in the next. But there is a third state between them, not unlike the world of dreams, in which we are aware of both worlds with their sorrows and joys. In that third state of consciousness, there are no chariots, no horses drawing them, or roads on which to travel. But he makes up his own chariots, horses, and roads. In that state there are no joys or pleasures, but he makes up his own joys and pleasures. In that state there are no lotus ponds, no lakes, no rivers. But he makes up his own lotus ponds, lakes, and rivers. It is he who makes up all these from the impressions of his past or waking life. It is said that these states of consciousness, that in the dreaming state, when one is sleeping, the shining self who never dreams, who is ever awake, watches by his own light the dreams woven out of past deeds and present desires. In the dreaming state, When one is sleeping, the Shining Self keeps the body alive with the vital force of prana and wanders wherever he wills. In the dreaming state, when one is sleeping, the Shining Self assumes many forms, eats with friends, indulges in sex, sees fearsome spectacles. But he is not affected by anything. Because he is detached and free, and after wandering here and there in the dreaming state, enjoying pleasures and seeing good and evil, he returns to the state from which he began. As a great fish swims between the banks of a river as it likes, so does the shining self move between the states of dreaming and waking. So there's this part of us, this force, this upper inclusive part that is moving through the states of consciousness and embodies the dreaming state where she, he creates chariots and horses and roads. And I freaking love this because he not only creates the chariot, but he also creates the road underneath of it. And it brings up for me this emergent quality of existence this idea that perhaps we are inside of the dream of the self that the vehicles of our bodies that have desire even our creative desire we are this vehicle we are the road on which we are walking in order to fulfill those dreams Um, and this is this is complex and beautiful but it's also so simple it's like that that nothing we create needs to be that extraordinary or unordinary we create the stuff of our creative vision out of the building blocks of normal life when we write a story it might just be the man who travels along the road it's it's simple it's it's made up of these elements of life these building blocks of life and because we're all experiencing this world, we can all relate to these building blocks in such a way, and we tap into the subtle realm, we take these simple elements and turn them into something extraordinary. So I also wanted to talk about this um, yeah, this this river, which is for me this symbol for this place where. Creativity is flowing. Um, it's always right there. It's an infinite supply. It's never the same river twice. It's moving. It's flowing. And at any moment when we tap into this, we can bring something up that is unique and spontaneous. And that, maybe that's why we call them currents. The subtle realm, the creative realm, is where I find the most effective forms of activism because they 're spontaneous. they come from the heart i 'm not talking about market researched activism i don 't think it 's as effective i don 't think it 's as fun sometimes it 's super creepy. Gross activism is that that um, bodily like dense form of activism. Um, And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. Sometimes our activism includes things like standing on the street corner with a picket sign, and I'm all for it. What I am saying is that I'm most interested in being in relationship with what is birthed from the infinite wellspring, that spontaneous emergent wellspring. And out of that, we do as we are called to do, which might include all of these gross level activities. Um, But first it comes from that emergent place. And our world doesn't really teach us to go look for this place, to visit this river. We're not taught how to pull things up from this spontaneous um, emergent place. And so that's why we're here at The Subtle Effect. I want to talk about this state, how we get there, interview cool people who are accessing this state, talk about how that informs their work, their activism, their action in the world. And I hope that was a good overview and somewhat interesting if there are parts of that that felt um, broad or over the head. Um, This is our first sit down together, and there's going to be lots of opportunities to go deeper into lots of these elements. Um, but I am really glad that you're here. Thanks for sticking with me, and I want to introduce our very first guest, Stuart Davis. He is a writer, director, actor, comedian, songwriter. He had his first TV series 2009, 2012, Sex, God, Rock and Roll. His second most amazing series, I'm going to get more in-depth, Uh, about in just a minute. This guy has 17 albums. He has been called one of the most fascinating and exceptional songwriters in modern music. Stewart's most recent and groundbreaking show is called House of Davis, and this premiered on Conscious 2 in 2016. This show is absolutely incredible, and I say if you check out any one thing this year, this is what you should check out. Um, It's a reality show for people who do not watch reality shows. And it's funny, and it's heartwarming, and it's deep, and it explores everything that no reality show has ever dared to explore. And also, on Conscious 2, is Stuart's course on creativity. It's called Something from Nothing. And if you do two things this year, watch House of Davis, and then go watch Something from Nothing, This course has profoundly influenced me and the way that I relate to creativity. It meets me right where I am and it has room for so many parts of me and parts of the creative process. It invites me into something deeper. So I'm really excited to talk more about the uh, Something From Nothing course and the aspects of creativity um, that Stuart delves into there. So with that my sincere privilege, to welcome Stuart Davis to the show. Welcome, Stuart. Hi!
1: Hi! Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm great. How are you? I love your show already. I'm like totally, uh, you dropped me into the subtle state. I was just floating on the raft of joy as I was (laughs) listening to your voice. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: Thank you. I am just so excited that you are here, that you're our first guest, and I feel like um, you've really got something really special to share in relationship to this subtle state.
1: I definitely feel congruent with your introduction and description about what your show is going to focus on, which I really think is the hokey pokey of existence. You know I mean? It's, it's definitely, that's what it's all about. I love that you're making this show, and i I can't wait to hear what comes out of it, what comes from it, <clears throat> because yes. I, for a long time, I've felt... Um, as you know, from watching something from nothing and mm-hmm. just going through the various creative enterprises that I explore, like I, I think this is the uh, this is the primordial, lineage for each and every human being that's born is the creative lineage, and that Mm -hmm. fundamentally my cosmology is a creative one. I think if there's one thing we really know about the manifest and unmanifest, the visible, the invisible, is that it's creative. Everything Mm -hmm. that exists or has existed or will exist has issued from this native endowment of creativity, and whether we're talking about a discrete entity as an individual human or the deceptively inanimate functioning of the larger physical body of the cosmos. It's all creative. It's all Mm -hmm. animated. It's all intrinsically surprising and spontaneous. And so I think your podcast is directly focused on what is the most fascinating aspect of existence, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, This state is... You know, in Something From Nothing, you talk a little bit about state chasing and state training, (laughs) and I walk that line uh, right on the edge, um, for sure. But I am really, really interested in this state, where it comes from, um, how we access it. But you're in agreement that we all have this state. Each one of us comes from this, can tap into this. Yes?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that for starters that whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we register it or not, our lineage, our native endowment, our true fundamental essence is creative. We issued from this creativity with a capital C. We are fundamentally primordial primordially creative. Every single facet of every moment mm-hmm. is intrinsically creative. Now mm-hmm. we have the option, of course the degree and depth to which we wish to participate in that, that we want to cultivate it, that we want to consciously entrain and expand upon those, those given principles. But yeah, basically that is, and I also think that what's interesting about our creative lineage is that it's so close to us. It's so inside the inside that it's easy to miss. I mean, mm. take for my, my own calling as an artist and I went through a very surprising process to arrive at something from nothing you know I I was uh, at the age of 12 I became I would say explicitly consciously an artist and from the age of 20 I'm 47 years old as of today and for the last 27 years I have had no other job except being an artist and I didn't I mean to point out how close and kind of invisible this can be, I did not come to think of my own lineage as the creative artistic lineage right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Like I became an artist and as an artist, the states and subtle experiences that I was having led me to the esoteric or occult spiritual lineages. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I kind of had this inverted sequence where I thought, Okay, I'm creating, I'm going through these these altered states, and I'm having these experiences, and I feel that that is a compass that is pointing me toward um, Zen Buddhism or contemplative Christianity or Sufism, and I started exploring all these esoteric mystical paths and practices, mm-hmm. and for a long time, I thought that art had led me to esoteric spirituality. and uh-huh. after I was in esoteric spirituality for long enough, I realized <laughs> that actually. What has gone on is that before there was any civilization, before there was language, before there was any codified system that we would recognize as a human domain, Mm -hmm. there was creativity. Mm -hmm. Like the the very first moment that that a signifier was issued, the very first instance, and this was a real instance, I mean, it's important to, to try to crawl inside the body of the first hominid that mm-hmm. cultivated a signifier that represented something with a, a symbol. Symbol systems did not exist, but it was creativity that brought them forth. And so mm-hmm. then I realized creativity is our real lineage. Mm-hmm, like It mm-hmm. preceded every single facet of what we think of as lineages now. And then I realized that long after... Religion is gone, or long after the contours of the landscape that we recognize now as you know human civilization human culture, whatever its varieties may be what long after all of that has changed and morphed and evolved into something else, creativity will still be the underpinning of it all and so that 's why I love your podcast because I think this <laughs> is really the the big invisible uh, supernova of spontaneous Infinite potential, that's the elephant in the room is creativity. And it's so close to us that sometimes we miss it as our real intrinsic lineage.
0: I love this idea that it's so close that we might miss it. It just makes me feel like I can breathe and like there's no thing about what it is that I'm supposed to do or could bring in terms of my gifts to the world that's like far out there or unreachable. It's like I just need to get a little bit quieter, feel a little bit closer into my own being. And then that's where I'm going to
1: find it. I totally agree. And I think that the, it's, a, it's a big relief. And also, it changes and almost inverts the normal way that we conceive of our lives. Like, I, I know yeah. the pressure that you're talking about. You can, as, as you enter into your dharma or your calling or your vocation or whatever you think your life is going to be about, there can be this self-imposed pressure or a cultural pressure from the exterior, which is like, what should I be doing? How should I go about it? Especially in terms of activism, trying to make a difference in the world and do mm-hmm. something that matters. There's this sense of pressure, like, I don't want to mess this up. It's really important. Totally. What's life about? But actually, when you get into... The deep, subtle states that you're talking about and relaxing into your true creative identity, you realize, number one, you can't fuck this up. Like the universe, <laughs> can you can't mess up what is happening. It's so deeply natural mm, that there that. is no way for us to screw it up. Now, that may not be the experience that the frontal structure of your personality has. <laughs> That's a different thing, but it certainly is the experience that your deep, subtle, causal self has. Mm-hmm. And then number two is that really what's going on is just an invitation. There's mm-hmm. no pressure predicated upon what you should or should not do. You won't be judged in, at, the, at the end of your life, I don't believe, for you know hitting some markers or achievements, but there is an invitation. There is an opportunity. There is a potential, and certainly I would be sad if I forfeited The opportunity and the invitation that I have as a as a creative emissary in in the mystery.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that entering into the experience of that first human? Like I have this memory of being a kid and like laying in bed at night and having these like body experiences that were just like larger than life. And that's what I think of when you talk about crawling inside of this human and this this first experience of creativity. <clears throat> Can you talk about like tapping into that feeling, into that inside of your own body and your experience?
1: Definitely, I, mean, I think that it's the body is really important in this endeavor because it's important to not simply relegate these subjects to abstraction. Like there really mm-hmm. was truly. There was a time in your physical being when you were brought into corporeal form. Mm-hmm. Now, whatever your personal belief system may be that, you know, you, some people think that you were abiding in a uh, non-material realm and that we crawl into human form from the unmade subtle causal realms or I love the three bodies you were talking about, but to get to the point of that physical experience, what I like to do is follow this thread, follow this crawling inside of not only the perspective but the memory, the felt sense and memory of this lineage it 's all available to us, so in my own life, I can close my eyes and begin to you know clutch this thread and follow myself back through um, physical memories of from now to times that I have you know, the, my children being born, holding them for the first time, physical contact with other beings, the smell of the world that I was in when I was an adolescent, the the tactile experience of putting my hands, feet, and mouth on there's a million million tactile sense experiences that we have felt in this body. But if you pull back even further to our ancestry, our lineage, our history, our story. Mm-hmm. There was a time as bipedal hominids when there was no signifier, there was no symbol system. there was a simple immediacy of how we interface with our our world and our rea- reality through our senses that was just much more immediate and and the time dilation around us was more constricted and so one of my favorite points. One of the inflection points of our story Is any time a truly emergent phenomena uh, Arose through a human body And so there really was a moment, for instance one of, Some of my favorites are like There was a moment when no one had ever Externalized a representative symbol That did not exist There was no signifier for the word tree or rock or or love, or hunger. And there was a bipedal hominid of some variety, and it's debatable, maybe it was, uh, you know, it could have been Neanderthals, it could have been a species we don't know about, or a variety, but there was a, a point when a bipedal hominid somehow reached into th- and across the membrane of the unknown and stuck their hand into this fomenting potentiality, <laughs> and they <laughs> pulled out a symbol, and that was a bipedal mm. hominid that did that, and they issued it forth. And another thing that happens for me immediately when I think of that moment and that entity is what the, the intersection of loneliness and creativity can be like in that moment. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was probably a, a, a part of that that characterized loneliness because it wasn't yet intersubjective. uh, It's very unlikely that simultaneously, (laughs) perfectly synchronized in that moment that two entities came to the same creative uh, moment. They probably didn't, I'm sure. that. And also you could think of it as salmon trying to climb up the steps of a stream. Like how many times did a symbol system try to emerge within bipedal hominids before it stuck? That may have been something that made an attempt to plant its flag and anchor itself in our bodies. That may have occurred thousands of times, 10,000 times over the course of hundreds of thousands of years or thousands of years. We don't know. We never will know. But we certainly can come to an appreciation of how fucking momentous it was Mm -hmm. that, that some creature within our lineage came to that moment and was brave enough and curious enough to wander across the threshold and start exploring in that way. And that is what I see really as this lineage. That is what I see as this tradition, be it spiritual, creative, however you want to characterize it, is the curiosity and the intrinsic creativity in us to continually almost Um, You know, we're almost incorrigible in the way that we can't help ourselves from crossing over these thresholds to go into the unknown, the void, to reach back through gross, subtle, causal bodies and stick arms and legs and feet and faces into the void of the unmade and bring something forth from it. That's the great human endeavor. And so when I talk about the body and you, and you bring up this, these kind of body um, awarenesses and memories and stuff, mm-hmm. it, there's a cascade that happens for me whenever I start to reflect and appreciation for what our species is all about, is that we have this unbroken, ceaseless history of continually crossing over those thresholds, some of them very real in the gross realm, like people literally got in boats and crossed oceans, Mm -hmm. but also all the oceans on the inside, you know, the universe Mm -hmm. is just as big on the inside. And we've always been diving into the creative shamanistic, spiritual, psychological, emotional, no man's land, and coming back with totally unprecedented, unprecedented, surprising, um, new offerings to the species.
0: Totally. I I just feel like I'm taken into this timeless place that's also incredibly time-bound when you talk about this lineage and I feel myself inside of it and there's this exploration of what is the larger creative story that my whole life is taking is is a part of is inside of that it is so much bigger so much longer that it has tendencies and it has form and then there's me and all of my like myriad of ideas and ways of being and like the craziness of our society and the way that things are like i don't know i think of the shipping routes and the the slave labor and the factories and the privilege and like just the way all of these cultures fit together and it's so complex and crazy and yet it when I space out a little bit into this lineage it's happening inside of something much grander much bigger than me much bigger than anything I can conceive of and it's super creative
1: yeah, and that's really, you just hit upon the uh, central characterization of, of something from nothing. You know, everything that you were describing, which manifests in form in all this great infinite variety historically, uh, the landscape of everything, not just our species, but the whole history of Earth, the history of the cosmos, that's the something side, which mm-hmm. is the manifest side, and then the mystery that you're speaking about, which is all of this arising from within, you know, what is the, what is the void, what is the space that all of this has room to arise and occur in, and that's mm-hmm. the nothing, and so when we say nothing in the course, something from nothing, nothing is not the absence of something, nothing is the gestating, infinitely enigmatic nothing void, which gives birth, gives rise to is the full potentiality, but it's also inexpressible, it's unapproachable, it's unmade, and really the faculties that exist inside of the frontal structure of a cerebral cortex are never going to be adequate to approach it, but that's really not a problem, because when we start following that thread, we very quickly arrive at the realization, the experience in our body, in our emotions, and our in our felt senses, that our fundamental identity, our native endowment, is nothing. And there's a perfect complementarity in the superficial opposition, which mm-hmm. is really just a, a, a beautiful spectacle, a play of supposed contradiction. Something is not opposed to nothing. Nothing and something. Are perfectly complementarity complementary, and all of this arises effortlessly in each moment, and so that 's the great relief is like it 's not incumbent upon us it 's not our job it 's not our our um, uh, imperative to have to you know to go into nothing and produce something with effort it 's effortless, but we do have an invitation, we have an option an opportunity to consciously participate in a much more interesting, fun way. I love that you mentioned the word fun when you were putting together the introduction about mm-hmm. activism, because I th- actually think that's a huge, important factor. We, sh- It is fun. Mm-hmm. Even when it's intense and deadly, it still <laughs> can be fun. It's okay. It's not It's not sacrilegious to have fun when you're doing something that is also incredibly meaningful. I'm not dissociated from or divorced from how truly profoundly important and how much suffering and and human freedom is at stake here. And you can still have fun. It's not sacrilegious to have fun when working for the creative liberation of all these species and all these animals.
0: Totally. Well, I want to, so we've been to the outer reaches of the, the, the cosmos and I want to come into this, this me and this experience of birthing, whatever finding, and then birthing whatever this creative inspiration is, how that manifests through this, this singular being with these ideas and, 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 all of the stuff of the world around it. for anybody that's coming in, I want to mention that Something From Nothing is Stuart Davis's awesome course. It's available on Conscious 2. And that is, um, it's a a dive into creativity. It looks at all aspects of creating a project um, and the self that's in relationship to that. Um, And I've taken this course myself. It's Profoundly impactful and helpful, and I highly recommend it. It's available on conscious too. I'm gonna play this really wonderful clip uh, from you from the from something from nothing. Here it is.
1: Your deeper self that we just identified that has spoken and identified this project, that's the self that is qualified to determine whether this project merits completion and whether it deserves your full attention and energy and you doing what it takes to complete it. Make sure you do what you need to do and make sure you don't fail to do that because shitheads and trolls spewed negativity and shot down your idea and they weren't even people that knew you. They weren't even people necessarily that knew your inner truest self you know the secrets in the depths of your heart and the things that you came to earth to do that is so easy to forget because we live in a zombie land full of torpor this current moment on planet earth is not engineered to cultivate your deepest calling and your awakened self your deepest self that's why we need a micro culture That's why something from nothing, our tribe, our lineage has to find each other and we need to create the embassy, which will allow us to function and support and cultivate this deepest calling because you came into this body, into this world with a set of gifts and uniqueness to offer that it's important you do offer before you leave this world.
0: God, I love that. I... You take me so far out into the reaches and then so deep back into myself and my connection to what's uh, immediate and emergent. And I just really love that you're naming and talking about the way that the world is, the way that it's set up at this current moment in time, um, how it's not really supportive and, and and teaching us how to cultivate the right um, actions, the right internal states in order to birth a project or to be a creative. Um, So talk to me about the shitheads and the trolls who come in and have this or that to say and what's the right relationship when I'm maybe just this tiny little idea is floating through, I grab it. I run to talk to my neighbor or my coworker and it's like kind of awkward and they're like, um, I don't really get what you're saying. (laughs)
1: Uh, So awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, let's, let's go through it in three steps. Let's, let's bifurcate this into, or trifurcate this into three steps. Uh, different uh, sections so okay. number one I think it's so important and useful just to call a spade a spade we live in a world right now that is more engineered toward mesmerizing us and putting us into a kind of stupor mm-hmm. um, we spend a lot of our days this is the big collective we culturally in the western world we do not spend most of our time or even a significant amount of our time confronting and engaging the profound mysteries of existence and creativity we spend most of our time uh, moving through the motions of a hypnotic march and entrainment mm-hmm. that is that is about a commodification I mean a lot of what 's gone on <clears throat> with our with our species and our cultures has been uh, the commodification of sentient beings and the whole way that we 're fused with devices, and we are Captivated by an external spectacle and theater mm. that is not engineered to awaken us and call forth our deepest opportunity and potential. Mm-hmm. That's to me, that is just kind of obvious. That's the world we're in right now. I don't think it's necessarily a massive conspiracy. I think that we, to the largest extent, we have cultivated this world ourselves. You know, it's, I, I don't have some. Malevolent framing of it—that's like what we're caught in. Um, I mean, I do think there's a lot of hell in this realm, but I don't think it's a conspiracy. Basically, yeah, we have. I really like that.
0: Of, I like that a lot. It actually softens me. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, you're, we, we, you're talking about it is very uh, yeah positive and gentle.
1: We brought ourselves here. That's the world we live in, mm-hmm. and so I would say that's number one, which is let's just call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. Number two, I would say is. The recognition that there is not just one self or not just one aspect of self. I find it most helpful to frame the self as a choir. Mm -hmm. I often think of when I consider myself, I see an orchestra or a choir and each of the instruments within my orchestra is really important. You know, when I think of Stuart, I look down in the orchestra pit, there's a cellist, there's somebody playing the timpani, there's the violin section... I love them all, I need them all, they're all part of calling forth this symphonic potential of my life, Mm -hmm. but it's really important that there's a conductor, it's really important that there's a composer, it's really important that there is someone with the deepest vision of what this piece of music is all about, and knows that from beginning, middle, end, and has the power and presence to appreciate each and every instrument, but also is in charge of them. Because you want a super strong, self-possessed cellist, but you don't want the cellist thinking that they're in charge of the entire orchestra. You want the (laughs) cellist to play that part. And so the way that I see that as an analogy is within my personality, there are all of these different qualities and aspects that are really powerful and strong. I mean, when I step on stage, I definitely want my ego there. I want someone who can make a joke and perhaps be charismatic and charming enough that people would be interested initially. But I don't want the shallow dimension of my magnetic ego to be what it's all about. Mm -hmm. That has to step out of the way at the moment when the mystery wants to come through. Mm -hmm. And so to put it more succinctly, I I think there is many selves and there are many aspects of of a discrete sentient entity But the most important thing is that the deepest self is in charge. Mm -hmm. So like to just quickly reframe. So number one, we have the recognition that we're living in this kind of torpor culture, Mm -hmm. this sort of zombie facet, but it's not a conspiracy. And number two, we have the recognition that there are many levels or depths or altitudes or aspects of selves, however you want to think of it analogously. If you want to think of an orchestra or a choir or a workforce, And the most important thing is that the deepest self is in charge. Mm -hmm. And then number three, what I think is important is that number, uh, excuse excuse me, number three, we accept and celebrate our station within the creative lineage, our native endowment, and we make sure that we don't leave this lifetime not having done what we came here to do. Mm -hmm. And so those are the three things that, that I think are a good setup for what Something from Nothing is all about. And so at the top of Something from Nothing, we have, number one, uh, we recognize that we're part of this lineage. We say there is a creative lineage. It's deep. It's primordial. It was here before humanity. It is what issued the cosmos. I am a member of that lineage. I recognize that. And now I want to participate in it consciously. And then from there, we go into practices and methods that will help us cultivate and reinforce that, including finding our other members of the lineage to formulate this culture, this embassy, this microculture, I like to think of it as, Mm -hmm. which will help us not feel lonely and pathologically isolated, which is very easy to feel. Um, You know, you will not be, if if you go into the popular culture with these things that I'm describing right now, and you say, guess what, we're all... (laughs) We're all part of this creative lineage, and really there's this profound mystery dwelling inside of each of us, but we all have access to it, and we should cultivate this because there's a great spontaneous surprise waiting for us at the center of our lives if we follow this circuitous labyrinthine Map it to our inner... People are going to either look at you like you're crazy or you will lose your job eventually. (laughs) You'll be pushed to the periphery of... That is not what is going on Uh in the larger culture. So it's not going to thank you. It will probably tell you to fuck off or it will pathologize you somehow. Sure. So we recognize that and we know that we need a microculture which can Mm -hmm. formulate an impervious, healthy, vital ecosystem... For us to thrive and cultivate what really matters and to form a healthy, integrated self with the support of others. Like you and I having this conversation right now, totally. what your podcast is about, the other people taking something from nothing, the other artists I know. There are many ways to formulate it, but that microculture is pivotal. So we recognize we're part of the lineage. We've, we start to formulate this microculture and then we cultivate state training and capacity training, methodology, methodologies, practices, which will deepen, expand, and strengthen our opportunity and invitation. And so the first one of these that I introduced in Something From Nothing is the one that you brought up, and we can go through it in a more brief, contracted form. And then mm-hmm. if folks find this industry they interesting, they can um, go to Conscious Too and… sweet take something from nothing and go in deep but practice dying is the first practice that we bring up in something from nothing Mm -hmm. and this is a kind of filtering and focusing practice which will allow us to identify the indispensable critical task and opportunity that we came to this world to complete, so which is a creative one. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to your neighbor, or I'm talking to other artist friends, um, certainly one of the liabilities of a very creative person is that there's a huge range, there's a spectrum, there, there's a cacophonous eruption of ideas most times (laughs) i've never had i've never had writer's block but i sure have contended with the cacophony Mm -hmm. of 110 different things trying to manifest in me simultaneously Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and and maybe that's almost the same thing right i I think it can be and honestly
1: (laughs) i think writer's block and cacophonous eruption are are two sides of the same coin which is simply being paralyzed by not knowing what to do, how to go about it, and to make sure you complete it. So practice dying is a way that we can look at either of those situations and focus in on what's truly indispensable. And here's how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, You would, first of all, put yourself in a relaxed position. So think of this as whatever posture you would usually use to meditate or relax. I like to literally lay down in the corpse pose, which is Mm. just like find a soft spot somewhere in your house lay down on your back, put your arms at your side. We enter into a very um, normal breathing exercise, which is we, we can follow our breath in through our nose, slowly into the base of our belly. You breathe in with tracking the breath with your mind into the base of your belly. You track it back out, up through your torso, back out your nose, and you just spend a minute or two tracking with your breath, using your awareness to track your breath. Now, when you reach the relaxed state a few minutes in, then we are going to place our awareness on simple, major milestones of life. So, the goal of this meditation is to identify the creative task which we must complete before we leave this life. But to get to that destination... I like to use milestones and markers to help us begin to tighten the aperture on focusing about the things that really matter in life. So we begin with birth. And first of all, just (laughs) congratulate ourselves that somehow or another, we managed to condense and anchor a non-material, incorporeal sentient consciousness into a corporeal form. We got inside of a body. We were expressed through a woman and partake in the greatest tradition. Birth and death, I think, are the tandem twin ends of the most magical baton that exists. And so Mm -hmm. we were born thanks to women Mm -hmm. and we came into being and that was the first major milestone for all of us. Some of us might remember aspects of that. Some of us might project memories onto it and either way I think it's important that as the first milestone in practice dying we simply look back and project imagine and ascribe the qualities to our birth that we need to Mm -hmm. see and feel what you need to about your birth How imagine how it was to be that baby to just enter into the world for the first time how did it feel to have arms fingers to be outside of another entity for the first time and to have never known that. It's all utterly novel. So we spend a few moments simply trying to call, crawl inside the physical experience of our first initial moments as a bipedal hominid. And having soaked in that for a while, I jump forward to five years later. Try to call forth the first memories, the things that are most salient, that punch out to you, your first memories in life, let's, taking that five-year-old perspective, look back and think what it was to you that stands out. For me, for instance, the first truly meaningful memory that I have as a human being is that I was standing in my driveway, I was probably five or six years old, and I had this terrible Panicked desire to escape. And I had this simple pre verbal feeling of dread like, oh my God, I'm here. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. How the fuck did I end up? All of this was nonverbal, but mm-hmm. this was the emotional context of it. Mm-hmm. And then there was a voice in me, there was a perspective that just somehow conveyed that it was all going to be over instantaneously. And that I would never repeat anything. Hmm. And I had this emotional experience as a five or a six year old boy standing in my driveway in the sun a realization that I would never be five again. Mm -hmm. I would never be six again. I would never feel this sunshine, this grass. I would never have this moment again. And whatever this perspective was, I think it was my highest self, mm-hmm. just gave me the emotional realization that I should savor it, mm-hmm. even the pain, because none of it will be repeated, and it's all somehow an illusion. Mm-hmm. There's, there's really no such thing as two times. So think about your five-year-old self, your six-year-old self, whatever comes up for the earliest momentous occasion for you. And then we jump ahead another five years and we go to our 10-year-old self, our 11-year-old self, and we think about what was the most defining emotional, psychological milestone of that part of our life. For me, it was that I was ostracized. I was was the target of a grade-wide, every kid in my entire class ostracizing me. Um, in a very Lord of the Flies kind of way. And Oof. I went through this crucible experience. And I think, again, like these are archetypal, profound, mm-hmm. but universal experiences. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to make this about the uniqueness of my 10-year-old, 11-year-old self. I just want to try to say that whoever's doing this practice, find that unforgettable moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when you get to the next milestone, 15, 16 years old This is when a different kind of consciousness Typically enters into Somewhere between the second and the third milestone For me, when I went through that ostracizing experience At the age of 10 or 11 A new perspective emerged in me And it was one that When I was in the darkest moment Of being ostracized A new facet of myself emerged and I was consoled by a spiritual presence. And I, I feel that that presence, although I wouldn't have articulated it at this, in this way at that time, was my deeper self, was my own higher self, and it brought a kind of wisdom and presence that let me know that I was indestructible mm-hmm. and that no matter how hard things got or how brutal they got, there was an essence of me that could not be touched and could not be corrupted and could not be mm-hmm. destroyed and mm-hmm. that I could I could live there if I yeah. wanted to. And it mm-hmm. gave me an option. And strangely, when I reemerged from being ostracized, I decided that I would never leave that place again. Mm-hmm. That place was, when you uh, described the subtle and the causal, this was a, a nest that lived inside of me very much in that subtle, causal threshold and a very enigmatic internal space uh, that was unreachable and incorruptible. So I came back into the world and by the time I was 15 or 16 and we get to the third milestone, I knew that I could live from that place and I was living from that place. And I also knew that by that time I had played music and the first time I played music, I knew that I was going to be an artist. Mm. And so Uh, The third big milestone of my life was when I held musical instruments and music came through me. I knew, number one, from the second milestone that I had that place inside me. And number two, I had access to a creative mystery. And music was the most healing, magnificent surprise of my life up to that point. And frankly, it still remains that way because I think the universe is music. I think everything is frequency and vibration and that when we become artists and we traffic and cultivate frequency, we get to abide in the fundamental constituency of the cosmos. So in practice dying, we go through each of these milestones, just taking as a convenience five-year markers because it's just an easy way to to divide up a life. And however old you are, for instance, today, I'm 47. Happy th- birthday. Thank you very much. Um, I also celebrate death day, but we can talk about that later.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah We'll <laughs> get to that birthday. later. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we go through a five-year demarcation of our life. And let's say you're 30 years old, you review your life in these five-year increments 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, finding the most important milestone at each each of these markers until you reach your current age. And let's say you're 30 years old. You, as a 30-year-old entity, lying in the corpse pose, then you rise above your own body and you look at the summation of your life thus far and take it in, And this is a non-traumatic passing. You haven't died from some trauma or violence. It was a simple, peaceful excarnation. And you are now outside of your life, looking back. You've died at this age you are. And you look at everything that's happened so far and those big milestones and the things that were most important to you. And through the clarifying crucible of each of those milestones, you can more easily see what is it that you've left that you would like to have completed. Looking back on my life at 47 right now, Stuart Davis, what is it that I wish I would have completed or that I would have preferred to have explored more deeply or ensure that I left behind as a legacy of love, of creativity? Almost no one, I've never talked to someone who's done this practice at this point, who said, I wish that I would have you know, built a bigger fortune or I wish I would have had more power or I wish mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. have exerted more force in the face of my enemies. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not generally the things that rise through this set of filters. Mm-hmm. But what does tend to rise is that having died, you can look back and see that... The stuff that really mattered in your life tended to be relationships with other people, tended to be the surprising nature of creativity, love, connectivity, relationship, and the mysterious miracle that is existence. And then depending upon whatever your own unique vocation and calling is, maybe you're an architect, maybe you are an Olympic athlete, maybe you're a dog trainer, any single vocation is perfectly suited to be the expression of what this creative offering is that you wanted to offer. So this is practicing dying is the perfect calling, in my opinion, for something from nothing. Because number one, any of us can die at any moment. Mm -hmm. If you've been with a person who has died or you've lost someone close to you, which almost all of us have, or you've simply observed the passing of people that were important to you in your life culturally, David Bowie, Prince, whatever it is, whoever your heroes were, Mm -hmm. every year we lose them. So we know that we could leave at any moment, it's precious, it's transitory. What is it, from this perspective of our dead self, would we have liked to have done? Then we crawl back into our body, we're reborn, we are reanimated anew, we see from this meditation, which typically would take us 45 minutes to an hour to go through this process in Mm -hmm. depth at the Mm -hmm. pace that would be appropriate, And we have a new opportunity and we realize we're not dead yet. We still have this body. We still are animating this amazing vehicle of the essential self has form. And so our opportunity is there. And having identified this thing that we don't want to leave earth having not completed, that's step one in something from nothing. That's Mm -hmm. your project. Mm -hmm. This is the thing we're going to commit to. Because it's so important. It's going to change how we perceive the value of our life and what it is we have to offer. So let me pause there, having said that's what practice dying is, and and just see if you want to have anything else in response to that.
0: That's so awesome. Thank you for going through that. If you are listening and you're interested in actually going through this 45-minute process, go to Conscious 2. That's the number 2. Uh, it's an amazing website with lots of content and you can um, find Stuart's course something from nothing there and I love your description um, of you know going into these uh, these ordinary moments and of course they're unique to each one of us and yet you know there are these archetypal experiences through these ages through these different levels of development and these different, kinds of consciousness that come in as we uh, grow up and um, you know one of the things that happened for me when I took this course is that I kind of fooled myself I did this practice you know I laid down on the ground and I went through the the whole thing and I had had this project going in my mind and had started to work on it but it really wasn't flowing and I like kind of told myself that that's what I needed to do and it was like a week or two later that I was like you know there was this thing in the back of my mind during that exercise that was actually there that I didn't want to acknowledge because it's like a mm. lot it's a lot more work <laughs> and it's harder Yeah. but it's what I am really passionate about, I think it's really at this moment in my life what it is that I'm here to birth forth, and it was because of that practice that the next week I started that project, and I'm pleased to say. Can I'm I ask deep you what that it.
1: project is?
0: Yeah, totally, um, totally. So I have a really unique um, family lineage. My father is Lebanese. And he's, I'm a first generation American on his side. And he has this beautiful backstory, um, childhood story, story of coming to America. He was raised Muslim. And I just think it's this very unique timeline that I've always wanted to have written down. Mm. Um, I've always wanted to capture all those stories that I heard in my childhood. And so now... My father and I meet once a week and we record our phone conversation and he just tells me all the stories and I...
1: That's so cool!
0: Yeah, it's super cool. Oh my God, that's awesome! <laughs> thanks! Thanks! See, that's that's an wow. awesome uh, reception. Thank you for for being excited about that with me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm working on turning those stories into a, a body of work to share. And I think it's, you know, it's super personal to me and it's obviously very personal to my family, but I think it's relevant to the world at this moment with so much confusion about the Muslim world and belief systems and people from Arab countries. And so it's, it feels really exciting to be That totally
1: makes sense. I mean, I I think that's the quintessential example Hmm. of what we're talking about. Because number one, the reason the practice dying, um, doing this is, is useful is that you, typically what our frontal structure of our personality, you know, which is the, um, the gross body, the personality that we go through waking life with the one, you know, the ego that shows up on stage or in, you know, work interactions, etc. which again, I'm not against the ego. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm completely not one of those people that thinks the ego is malevolent and needs to be eradicated. I think that's very unhelpful and not actually the way that reality is set up. The ego is a, fucking miracle. It's a totally miraculous, (laughs) one of the most amazing creative results of uh, human existence. But to the example of your project, it's so beautiful to hear this because in practice dying, what we're trying to do is put our deepest self in charge. You Mm -hmm. can see when you review your life, whether you're 20 years old or 30 years old or 40 years old, one of the first things that becomes apparent when you go through five-year demarcations and intervals of your life is that there are many selves, not only many selves in the orchestra way that I described, but developmentally, Mm -hmm. we're not the same self at five that we are when we're 10. We're not the same self at 10 that we are when we're 15. And so you can feel the dynamic um, morphability of what a self is. And when you do this practice, it gradually migrates the center of gravity from your frontal structure or your ego and scoots it back into your soul Mm. and your soul is going to make a different decision than your personality is. They're totally compatible and they're totally supportive of each other, but the soul needs to be in charge. And what you just described to me makes such beautiful sense because of course your soul, the connection with your family, all these, the, the, migration spiritually through generations, what has happened inside of your family lineage, mm-hmm. the creative implications in what you're doing with your work now, it's all perfectly expressed in this project that that you, like you said, your your personality probably would not have chosen this initially because it's <laughs> no, harder, it's kind it's of way more harder. <laughs> unwieldy. But now that you're doing it, what do you think? Yeah, great like, what question. What do you
0: feel? Um, I'm feeling like it just takes... It takes showing up to really simple tasks again and again and again. Um, so, and I'm really like I look forward all week to that phone call, and it just feels like like a puzzle piece like got stuck in where it belonged. Like I'd been looking for that, and now it fits. And it it you know it's pretty. It's actually pretty easy in terms of the steps that it takes. Uh, to move through at this point, I'm not like editing (laughs) or any of that. I'm in creative flow. Um, yeah. So I'll check back and let you know. (laughs) That's
1: that's totally fascinating because then another thing, so we, you know, just to quickly walk people kind of through the steps of something from nothing. So there's the practice dine, which is what allows us to identify and commit to whatever the project is. And then we go into, Subsequent modules, there are, we do state training as module two, which is working through subject-object practices and meditative practices, working hypnagogic and liminal techniques and curiosity and wonder training. Um, and a big part of that as well that pertains to what you just described is that our project is not necessarily supposed to be convenient. Mm-hmm. Like what the soul is going to choose to do will not usually be convenient for the personality and that's Mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to be like when (sighs) my personality encounters the travails and obstacles that is by design of my soul and Mm -hmm. my personality resents it and doesn't want to do it a lot of times nonetheless if the right center of ourself is in charge the soul or the deepest self then what needs to happen is going to happen, whether it's convenient, inconvenient, pleasurable, mm-hmm. uncomfortable. In fact, discomfort is very often a great compass to use, um, which is a, the next module. So after we do state training, which is cultivating all these different capacities that can be trained in our emotions and our mind and, and our contemplative self, then we move on to shadow work. And shadow work is, well, part of that is, using discomforts and this kind of unpleasant range of of qualities in what we're taking on, we use that as a kind of compass Mm -hmm. and knowing that, you know, sometimes when things are uncomfortable for the personality, that's because there's something very rich that needs to be extracted from the discomfort. And so it's like you mentioned earlier, mining and mining shadow and mining in the shadow module, we learn to not avert the difficulty and avoid the struggle but Mm -hmm. instead point ourselves toward it and go right into it as a kind of rich vein and then we also use shadow work as a way to um turn our inner critic yeah because we have so much doubt and self critique that goes on and and could be a huge obstacle and inhibitor for a lot of artists Mm -hmm. and we use the shadow work as a way to turn that into Um, an asset and making the parts of us that are self-critical or the trolling that goes on into the culture. We learn to reframe Mm -hmm. and recontextualize all of that so that we can put it in service of the deepest self or the soul. So that's the next module is shadow work. And then the one that we just put up recently, I think, um, a week or two ago is The Amazing and the Mundane, which Mm -hmm. also pertains to what you were just covering. Um, The Amazing and the Mundane is a way to unknow the fabric and material of our life, unknow the symbols, unknow what we think we know about reality. We don't just deconstruct it, but we also let it evaporate. This isn't just merely like a pluralistic deconstruction in, in the classic academic sense. This is... Moving and conveying the center of our awareness back from gross to subtle to causal to the unmade point of all places where true unknowing with a capital U is available. Hmm. And then returning to our world and realizing that many of the things that we thought we understood and had categories for, like this is boring, this is stupid, (laughs) this is frustrating... We realize that actually the mystery has been hiding inside of all of these decoys mm-hmm. the entire time. And we return to the decoys and they become animated for us in a new way. So it's like you were saying, it's not—it's kind of a pain in the ass and there's a mm-hmm. lot of small tasks to be attended to, like yep. recording, documenting, mm-hmm. editing. I think of some of the most powerful ones for me is like doing my taxes mm-hmm. or, or handling bank information or mortgage, whatever it is that might be superficially mundane to my personal preferences, the preferences of my personality. If I study them from the deepest center of myself, I see them transformed and transfigured and I re-experience them as allies, Mm -hmm. as facets of my microculture, of this embassy and this hermetically contained microculture that we're talking about. You talking to your dad is a great example of that microculture, Mm -hmm. reinforcing depth that we can return to those decoys and the whole universe gets animated for us in a new way. And we realize that the boredom that we had been experiencing was actually our own forfeiture Mm -hmm. of, of great power and Mm. great opportunity.
0: Totally. I, I say that, um, If life were a painting, it would be of the the long, slow arms resting on the table of life, pressing down on the firm wood in order to get the leverage to stand up achingly and labored so he could walk halfway down the hall to forget what he stood for.
1: (laughs) That's so awesome. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. <laughs>
0: but it's that's it. the painting. I mean, it's that's where this art comes from. It comes out of the mundane. It happens through ordinary circumstances chained together and coupled, I think in my experience with this state training and doing things in my waking life that helped me to bring about those states more often, get in that river or get in the way of those creative impulses and ideas that flow through um, that does create something extraordinary.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the, on, a, on a private scale, we have a mobile of these anesthetizing boredoms. So there's all (laughs) kinds of, when you rise in the beginning of any day, there's a mobile invisible around you, which is these um, simultaneously, ironically, like they're magnetic and they're captivating, but they also induce a kind of torpor. They're anesthetizing. And so it could be your cell phone. It could be a TV. It could be food. It could be whatever it is. These mundane or typical things in our day-to-day experience that anesthetize us and entrain us into the zombie life, Mm -hmm. they are instantaneously inverted into surprise little explosive devices that can be ignited. And when they detonate, they radically alter our world. And so I personally feel that You know, this is not a judgment thing either. I'm not saying, you know, like I said, I don't think this is a big conspiracy. It's simply that we've brought ourselves to this situation. We exist in a culture in which the typical contour and landscape of a day, of a relationship, of a job, of a set of experiences is characterized by these anesthetizing decoys. Mm -hmm. But they're decoys for a reason. And if you study them from the seat of unknowing, Mm-hmm. Which we gain access to through these practices and something not from nothing, and cultivating and training these intrinsic, innate powers that we have as creative entities. If we do this, then it all flips. And it explodes for us, and really, there is no mundane facet of reality or Mm -hmm. of the self, Mm -hmm. it's all pregnant and gestating with surprise and spontaneity and potential. And totally, that is that's our opportunity.
0: Totally. Like, have you been in that state where you're making music and the refrigerator is really loud and then all of a sudden it's like contributing to the symphony of sounds and you're just like the door creaks and it's like oh I need to capture the sound of the creaking of the door and put it into the piece of music like the whole mundane world is actually at our service and and contributing to that extraordinary
1: absolutely that is Both of the things that you just described, I have literally experienced, (laughs) verbatim, those things I have experienced. In fact, I remember distinctly in 2000, 2001, I was writing music in uh, in my living room and I dialed into an acoustical property of my living room. And I ended up opening up my oven and playing drums on the inside of the (laughs) oven. And it became part of the track that ended up on the final album. And it was, it was this great moment where the oven was not an oven. It was just this perfect opportunity for a percussion (laughs) instrument and it worked perfectly. So I completely agree with all of that. That is the great, curious, hilarious comedy of our situation is that and it really is comedy that's why it's fun that's why this is funny that's why serious and sacred are not incompatible with funny and profane mm-hmm. they're all com- perfectly compatible and complementary complimentar- and available to us and so if we have that kind of curiosity and sense of of uh, interest you know then i think that any moment can be inverted in that sense for us and that's the fun of each day.
0: Totally. Okay, I want to wrap up with a question that's related to activism. I want to ask you if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and magically transform an element of that world. And, you know, we're talking about how emergent it is, how it's all helpful, how this is sort of just like being with it as a thing that here we are it's not a conspiracy but what do you see as this growing edge of of the outside world of society that if you could help with a magic wand grow it up or evolve it to some extent and maybe you're already doing this with your work in some way um, what would that be
1: i think that magic wand if such a thing existed what I would wave into reality would be for each and every entity to have access to their witness or to the Mm. to the stateless state so yes it's important for us to train all these states yes it's important for us to commit to and have perspectives And for instance, let's just take the climate in the United States right now between Republicans and Democrats, which I'm not a terribly political person. My work is not typically characterized by political stuff, but I think this is a good opportunity because it provides such a strong sense of contrast in our culture right now. There's a real tug of war between the left and the right, the the conservative and, and the liberal. And so, for instance, with this, what I would wish is that not only for people to have access to their values. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, the values of if you're a conservative, you may profess to value liberties, the liberties of the individual um, and all of the various uh, perceived assets that you would include in that worldview. Or if you're a liberal, you might advocate for compassion and inclusion, etc. So whatever the positive assets are of each of these perspectives, that's the left and the right. And you can think of those as the base of a triangle. So if we look at a triangle in front of our mind's eye, let's say that on the left are liberals and on the right are conservatives. And what I would wish for with my magic wand is that each and every sentient being would also have access to a third station which is not just the state of wanting to cultivate compassion or not just the state of wanting to cultivate personal freedom and liberty, which are both positive framing of left and right, but also this third apex, mm-hmm. which is access to the knowledge that all perspectives arise from within this nothingness, this this pure potential create a void that all states occur from within the stateless state. And so on a very personal, pragmatic level mm-hmm. in the United States, what I wish is like that my liberal self would not only have access to the the conservative perspective as an aspect of myself, but also the access to knowing that both liberal and conservative arose from within the creative life that we live as ever, as Americans, that all political perspectives are actually intrinsic aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. And I can identify as a liberal, I can identify as a conservative, but more importantly, I can identify as the creative potentiality that gave rise to both of them. And that I don't have to see and feel and experience my world in total opposition. Mm-hmm. I can access, I, I'm not saying people shouldn't, claim a perspective. Mm-hmm. I think your personality should have a perspective. I went to the to the polls. I voted. Mm-hmm. I have an opinion. But more important than the opinion of my personality is the expansive space of my soul. And my personality arises from my soul, not the reverse. So <laughs> if I had a magic wand, that's what I would wave.
0: That's so beautiful. So identifying as this this self from which all of this is arising. I have access to this opinion. I can understand that perspective. And I am primarily identified with this spaceless space or this awareness from which all of that is arising.
1: Exactly. It goes back to seeing yourself as the composer Mm -hmm. and not just the cellist, Mm -hmm. right? Like Like, when I look around our country right now, I feel like a lot of us feel trapped inside of our instrument or our particular role inside of the symphony. Totally. But it's sad because we're all actually the composer. Mm. You know, this is a beautiful piece of music but yes it has some flat fives and some dissonances <laughs> and, it, and there's mm-hmm. some really acutely painful parts of the symphony but that's part of the beauty of music it has an intensity it's not just all soothing all the time but what I really wish for people is that they knew and could feel that they're the composer they're not just the harpsichordist or the timpani player or whatever it is you're the composer so you you can let go of your perspective as a conservator or a conservative or a liberal and no it's okay you'll you'll be able to come back to it you won't forfeit it forever mm-hmm. you know to be the composer is not to forfeit the cello it's just to know that you have that deeper space so yeah that's what I would wish
0: you are the composer I love it Stuart thank you so much I am so grateful that you have been here you are fascinating and so wonderful at explaining so many levels all the way out from the big cosmos and this nothing into the detail of the self and this something and this creative and how that creative can then identify inside of this expansive place and i'm just super grateful that you've been our first guest Um, i would love to play one of your songs my favorite one of your songs um, ladder as you close out Uh, but i just i just want to say thanks again
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait to hear where this show goes and I will be listening. Thank you so much for creating it.
0: Thank you so much. I want to thank everyone for joining me on The Subtle Effect. You just heard me interview Stuart Davis. If you would like to check out more of Stuart's offerings, you can go to stuartdavis.com. He's got 17 albums. You can purchase those albums anywhere that you regularly get your music. On the top right of Stuart's web page is a link to Patreon. Patreon is an amazing platform that lets you support artists that you love with a monthly subscription price that you choose. You also get direct access to Stuart. Definitely check this out. I am a patron. You can be a patron. Check it out, StuartDavis.com. You can also check out Something From Nothing, at Conscious Two, that's the number two, Conscious Two. He will go more in depth there um, over the range of topics that we have touched on today. And that's also where you can check out the reality TV show House of Davis. So we have covered so many bases today from the beginning of a project, the communicating of that idea to others, the hurdles, the roadblocks, this beautiful Uh, practice dying that Stuart went over this podcast is brought to you by source vibrations media and SourceVibrations.com is your place to go to access dozens of state training audio programs you can also check out source vibrations youtube channel so that is it for today i am Catherine ead thank you so much for joining me I am looking forward to next time and I will see you then on the subtle effect.
2: I've got brains like antique flaws, a build each one. It's